Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody. Tell them you're glad to see them tonight at midweek service, our old-fashioned Bible study and prayer meeting. And it is good to see Ted back with us, and he gave us a report that uh, Mom is recuperating. Praise the Lord. We prayed for Mom and prayed for each of you. Thank you for coming out tonight. We've got a great, uh, a great week or two ahead of us coming up on Thanksgiving. How many of you are looking forward to it? Now, some folks just absolutely can't wait for Thanksgiving. They love the change of pace. They love the turkey, the dressing. They love the aroma. I think I love the aroma and the taste. And um, walk into the house when my wife is cooking and she's cooking food, I say, uh, man, that's great. Uh, Gwendolyn's Kitchen is open for business. Amen. And uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the number one customer. But uh, praise the Lord for Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful time for people to get together. How many of you think of family and friends gathering, loved ones? And uh, then you get around the table and hopefully, instead of just stuffing our faces, we'll talk about the goodness of God, read some scripture, have some time to praise and worship the Lord. Now to get ready for all of that, and that's coming up in a week, a week from tomorrow. Think about it that quick. Eight days away, one week from tonight, we're going to have that nice quiet candlelight service that we have every Thanksgiving Eve. Looking forward to that. We're going to enjoy it so much. Our hearts are going to be stirred. It's going to be a wonderful time. But but between now and then, we've got things to get ready for. So every day this week, you want to be on From the Shepherd of the Sheep each day. You want to be introducing people, getting subscribers. We're past the 700, 712 number now in subscribers, growing. Praise the Lord. The short clips are going up. Now you want to catch that short clip today. And I hope we didn't scare anybody off by the title, but it's a, it's a, it's a provocative title. We try to put Titles on those short clips of 30 seconds to a minute so that people will tune in and then they'll punch subscribe and they'll be on the YouTube or on the Facebook, on the platforms with us, praise the Lord. So help us out with that every day and invite other people to join us. Now Saturday, I need to have a good crew here at 9 o'clock to clean, 10 o'clock to go on visitation. We're going to have about five, six boxes of, of door hangers and we're going to mainly do that. Inviting people out for what's going to happen this weekend and on through the weeks to come. And we need your help. So we need to hang those door hangers. And if, you, if you're good for 50 or 75 door hangers each, we'll get it done. Praise the Lord. We're going to have a good group app. I want everybody planned to come. All right, so I'll be here. And you try to be here too. And help us on visitation 10 o'clock at 4 o'clock. I want to invite everybody back. Bring plenty of food so we have enough food. All right. And uh, we'll be coming back for our 4 o'clock to about 6 o'clock. Uh, care and share pre-Thanksgiving dinner. We've got folks driving an hour or two or three to come and be with us. So don't you miss it. Bring everybody that you possibly can. I know you've got visitors coming, and uh, we've all invited people, so that's going to be great. And uh, tonight I'm going to ask the men to linger for a few minutes. So if we get every able-bodied man downstairs, and we'll get things set up the way it needs to be set up, and uh, we'll be on our way. Praise the Lord. Then all you got to do is tomorrow, Friday, you know, get your kitchen set up, start baking, start making, start putting it together, transport it down here on Saturday. Amen. We come in Sunday morning, we'll still smell the aroma. I mean, we'll have the good memories and the good fellowship. Now, at that gathering, we're going to have a chance to testify and talk about God's goodness, not about ourselves but about the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
And then Sunday, uh, all day, we're going to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving Sunday. It's Sunday before Thanksgiving, and so we'll have some special things going on. Our mixed vocal ensemble needs to gather at 9 o'clock for a sound check here. And uh, then we're going to be in the morning service. And uh, Sunday evening, we'll sing some songs and choruses. And after we go offline, we'll, have, we'll pass the microphone around and people can glorify the Lord and talk about the good things that God has done. I'm going to have a, a, a short 3x5 uh, card. Whatever you can put on a 3x5 card, you can testify to. Just don't wax long and eloquent because I want to preach. Thank you. That's coming up Sunday, then next week, getting ready for Wednesday night, the candlelight. And Thursday, the lights will be off here, but wherever you are, the light of the Lord Jesus will be shining. Amen. And uh, then we move into that, that uh, Advent season, they call it, you know, when we celebrate the first coming of Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago. Wonderful, wonderful uh, opportunity for us to talk about Jesus and salvation and a lot of great things going on in the month of December, January, February, on into the new year, 2023. It's going to be a year, a great year of destiny and uh, blessings, we believe, as we allow the Lord to have control. Now, when I started out tonight, I read the scripture, Woe if I preach not the gospel. Last Wednesday evening, we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and uh, helping folks out with this business of our Christian liberty versus being a stumbling block to others, and we never, ever, ever want to be a stumbling block. Amen? We never want to cause somebody else to stumble. Tonight, we're taking our Bibles and turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We know Paul's history. We know that he was Saul of Tarsus. We know he got saved on the road to Damascus. You can review that, either the actual account in Acts chapter 9 or later on, two or three times he rehearses his testimony before rulers. And he's like we ought to be. He's telling folks how he met the Lord Jesus. And when he met the Lord Jesus, he also got called. The Lord explained not everything, but he kind of pulled back the curtain and said, Saul, you're going to be a witness. You're going you're to tell folks. You're going to make a difference. And I'm very thankful when I got saved, it wasn't just a matter of, of God saving me so that I could go to heaven. I'm glad that's the main business, but I'm glad there was more business than just the main business. And never forget that. All right, soul winning for us is the main business, but there's more business besides soul winning. That's where that's a starting point. But beyond that, we, we need to be living and growing and glowing and going for God and folks seeing Jesus in our life. Amen. And, uh, you know, every step you ought to be praising the Lord like, like Billy Bray, the Cornish minor turned evangelist. We ought to be singing songs. And uh, how many of you got addicted to that chorus that I sang this morning on, uh, on the, from the shepherd to the sheep? I know one lady over here, she couldn't stop singing it. I couldn't stop singing it. Other people uh, are loving it. And uh, praise God for that. All right, we got love, joy, peace. You can catch up to it. If you, if you haven't already, you can do that. Share it with somebody else. Forward it to somebody. All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The church at Corinth was made up of a combination of different kinds of people, some saved Jews or completed Jews and some saved pagans, Gentiles, and uh, they, they were dealing with some issues between themselves. Everybody's got the potential for conflict. You know that? But everybody has potential for resolution through Christ. Amen. 
So whatever conflict you got going on with somebody, rubbing somebody, they're rubbing you the wrong way, you've got resolution in and through Christ. So allow the Lord Jesus, if nothing else works, at least say, let's put it under the blood and go on. Let's move on. Instead of everybody, every time there's conflict, you decide uh, to have some kind of a breakup or a divorce or whatever, you know, let's have some resolution. Amen? I'm for that. Resolution in and through Jesus Christ. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is saying, what, what did you guys miss? What day were you not there when you heard my testimony and you've seen the evidence to know who I am in Christ? Uh, Paul was a very special individual. There weren't many like him. There were only a handful. They were called apostles. An apostle is one who is sent with authority. We don't have any apostles today, even though you may go by a church or a religious organization and it'll say their leader is Apostle Joe, you know, Jones or whatever. And uh, they use that title. They're, they borrowed that title from the Bible, but they don't have apostleship. They don't have the office. And the reason they don't, to be an apostle, you have to be present for the Lord's ministry at Jerusalem from the baptism of John on. And uh, then you had to see Jesus. You had to be witness of his resurrection. And uh, otherwise, you couldn't be an apostle. Well, all the people that qualify have been dead for a couple thousand years now. So we have apostles, but they're all in the Bible. They're all written down, okay? So Paul is talking about this. He's saying, guys, what did you miss? Don't you realize I qualify? Here we go. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. And he asks the question, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? In other words, he's saying, you need some evidence of my apostleship? Go look in the mirror. Go look in the mirror. How many times have you had a falling out with, say, a preacher or an evangelist or somebody that's serving the Lord, maybe another layperson, a leader in the church, and the falling out was because of what? Misunderstanding, uh, miscommunication, or just humanity, or maybe sin. And you had a falling out. And, and then, now, let's fill in the blank. What's next? How about resolution? How about forgiveness? How about, how about let's come together in and through Christ, all right? Instead of being about seeing how much distance we can put between ourselves, why don't we see in Christ, when we're doctrinally correct and when we're spiritually forgiven, you know, our sins are... As far from us as the east is from the west, they're buried in the deepest sea. Uh, how many of you believe that, that God does that, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin? Amen. Then can we not come together on the basis of Jesus Christ and the resolu resolution that we have in Christ? Should we not try to serve the Lord together instead of let's start yet another split, yet another schism, yet another splinter? And pretty soon you've got... You've got uh, I gotta be careful what I say because I don't want to name anybody's church. But you, you've got uh, uh, you've got first mm -hmm, Baptist church, then you got second mm -hmm, Baptist church, and you got third mm -hmm, and fourth Baptist. I have I have seen in one town sixth mm -hmm, Baptist church splits one two three four five splits off of number one. And you say, well, maybe they went liberal, maybe they did. In which case, you know, separation is necessary. I understand that. But a lot of times, you know, a split's because of personalities or a split's because they didn't walk, talk, or look a certain way or whatever it might be. 
And folks, we have got to find spiritual reasons, grounds to work cooperatively with those who are doctrinally correct, correct and are right with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're doctrinally correct and you're right with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have got to find ways to work together, cooperate, and serve the Lord together instead of splitting, splintering, schisms, etc. The church at Corinth had that problem, all kinds of schisms. Now, they had sin, and they had problems that divided them, but they weren't so good about the patching up business, all right? Well, God's got that all covered. All right, here we go. If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. He's saying, he's saying, hypothetically, if you're saying I'm not an apostle, how can you deny that I'm an apostle? Because I worked with you and you saw what God did. You saw God's work. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas, or uh, I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? Which means uh, that they were going to support themselves rather than be supported by the ministry. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the, of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Does he care about the oxen? Yes. The oxen that tread out the corn get to share in the corn also. They get to eat and get strength. And he's saying, this is, this is the ministry. The, the, the minister, the servants of the Lord ought to be supported. That's what he is saying. Now, just as a sidebar, when he was there, he worked a secular job so that the folks would not have an object of criticism. And so he was making tents along with others because he had learned how to do that as a side job. You don't have to do that, but he did that voluntarily so that he would not be uh, owing anybody anything. Or saith he it all together for our sakes, for our sakes, no doubt, this is, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that th uh, thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. So he's using a lot of scripture and examples to basically say this, that when a servant of the Lord is serving, and he's serving full-time, and he's putting himself into the work. He is worthy of his hire. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things, in other words, your earthly things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer or permit all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So now he's explaining that he did not... Uh, Make use of this power, this authority that he had, even though he could have. All right? So he's saying, I'm an apostle. I could have, I could have lived off of the offerings, but didn't. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? They do. In fact, in the Old Testament economy, the priests would offer the, the, the animal upon the sacrifice, and then when there was leftover flesh or meat, they would, they would have steak dinner or whatever. And it wasn't an easy life, but they did have their, their needs supplied by the, what was left over from the offerings. Same is true here. Paul is saying, uh, if that's the case 
Old Testament, this is now New Testament. And uh, so, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. If ever you wondered what the program ought to be, here's what it is. When the local church is sufficiently large enough to take in regular offerings, when people are giving as the Lord leads to support the ministry, they should support the ministry, and the pastor or the leadership of the church should not be uh, responsible to supply their own livelihood on the side. However, I'll just tell you this, knowing my heart and the hearts of others, I have taught my Timothys to be prepared to be bivocational. Why? Because there may come a time when that might be a necessity. You need to know how to support yourself if that's the case. And when you're starting a church or starting a ministry, you need to be able to be bivocational. That way, you can't start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, but now you can just continue on. However, you can balance out the work. That's the way it needs to be. So the point is, the church is not justified in saying, well, you're in your own living. We're not going to pay you. There are, there are certain denominations that don't pay their pastors. They don't have a, a paid pastorate. And that's their choice because that's, a, that's their personal administration. But if they're going to be truly New Testament, it shouldn't automatically be that way. There should be some options available here as we see. All right, so verse 15. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. In other words, he's saying, I, I would rather die than take your support and have people think ill of the ministry. All right, so he is taking that position. Now, I, I've given you the text, verse 16, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So the number one motivation in the life of the Apostle Paul was for him to live and to preach and to communicate the truth that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, all of it according to the Scriptures. And, uh, and if you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'll be born again. You'll be brand new. You'll be saved. This past Sunday, as I stated Sunday night, I explained to someone here in the church building about salvation. Went through it two or three times, tried to make it clear. And uh, they were having difficulty because they had a preconceived notion about something that's not in Scripture. So as I continued to quote Scripture, they continued to say, but isn't it? And I continued to quote Scripture. And they said, but isn't it? And they kept saying what their preconceived notion was that's not in the Bible. I kept quoting the Scripture that's from the Bible, and that's the way it ended, at least for the time being. But we need to be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. And uh, you'll hear more about that on some of these brief clips that are coming up. We need to be ready all the time. You need to be able to tell people, comparing Scripture with Scripture, what the Bible has to say with regard to, first of all, who God is and what salvation is, why we need it. Uh, when we were talking Sunday morning uh, with the, the individuals, they... They uh, brought up something. I said, now you're speaking anthropology. Now, no, most people, when you say the word anthropology, they think of a secular university course that uh, in the first few pages, you see this ape-like-looking fella stooped over and then a few taller ones and a few finally somebody that's standing upright. And 
that you think of evolution, but anthropology, anthropos, is the study of man. And according to the Bible, God created man in his own image. So God isn't some stooped over half-looking ape, uh, but rather is God who is spirit, and he created us in his image. So we are primarily spirit beings that occupy uh, this body, and the real you is inside there. And we are, uh, we're in the same neighborhood with God. Though we're not gods or God-like, we're, we're spirit. So we're in the same neighborhood in terms of the spiritual affinity that we have. And that enables us to speak to God, God to speak to us. All right, so the gospel is very important. It's important that we have this down correctly. Every once in a while, I'll read a book, and somebody goes a little bit overboard, and they'll say, in that, it's not this book, but they'll say in the book, they'll say, you need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as, as your Lord and make him Lord over your life, and then you'll be saved. But the Bible never says that. The Bible says if we receive him, then he takes away our sin and he comes into our heart and life. Now, as we yield to him, then lordship kicks in. But lordship is not a prerequisite to salvation. And there are those who teach that falsely. They think by teaching that, they're teaching more completely the plan of salvation. But what they've done is added to salvation, and it's actually a false plan of salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be Saved. And what after comes after that? Period. Right, that's it. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ comes in. He does all the saving. Now the yielding that we do after that is part of the process of our growth in grace and pleasing the Lord and submitting and obeying Him. But some people like to add to salvation. That's unfortunate. And, uh, and they should not be given credit that's not due them. They, many people say, oh, it's wonderful that they... That they that they give you the gospel in such a glowing fashion so that people that are really, truly saved really, truly show it outwardly. I, there's only one thing wrong with that. It's not in the Bible. It's not in there. I mean, poor, lost, struggling sinners that come to God, they come with nothing in their hands. They have nothing to show for it, and they get saved all of grace. And if they never grow after that but die a... a a baby-type Christian, an immature Christian, that's a tragedy, but they're saved by grace. They've received Christ. Now, they will not be happy. They'll be miserable until they do die because the whole process was intended for us to grow after we received Jesus. But making people wonder if they're truly saved according to how much growth they've done, how much lordship they've experienced, is really unnecessary. It's wrong on our part. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, receive him as Savior, and you're a child of God. Now, to be an obedient child of God, we need to get into the Word till the Word gets into us. Amen. All right, so he says, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I want to preach exactly what the gospel is, plus nothing, minus nothing. Are you listening to me? This is it. So don't expect me to ever embellish basic salvation. It's always going to be just like I presented it. It's glorious, it's wonderful, but we don't always do right. And so it doesn't, it doesn't enhance the kingdom for us to say, well, it's kind of like this. I'm thinking about a situation that I'm really, 
I'm really saddened by. Uh, there, are, there are people that when their relatives come to visit, they won't take them to, through certain sections of town. And it's because they're ashamed of that section of town. So they say, can we drive another way? So they don't drive the normal way. They go around it. And I know every city's got its, you know, its areas that perhaps need some work. But, uh, you know, if the, if the quickest route is this route from point A to point B, why do you go around the mulberry bush just so you don't want them to see reality? There's a lot of, there's a lot of stark reality. There it is. And newborn babes in Christ don't always grow as fast as they ought to, don't always surrender and yield and live obedient Christian lives, and I wish they did, but they don't. And because they don't, what do you do with that? You say, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all those newborn babies, we're going to kind of cloister them, we're going to put them where they can't be. No, 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 no. I like what Cromwell did when he became Lord Protector over England. He commissioned someone to paint his portrait. And the guy came in to paint his portrait. He said, I want you to include warts and all. Make it accurate. You know what I say? What we are ought to be just right up front, transparent, and real. Instead of trying to fake everybody out, make everybody think we're better or something that we're not, I'm not saying just be nasty and, and be satisfied with that. But I'm saying, yes, by God's grace, we're growing. By God's grace, we're making progress. We're not as far as we ought to be, but we're not hiding anything from anybody. Instead, we're attempting by the grace of God to grow as rapidly as possible as he'll work in and through us. All right. For, this, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, a dispensing of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Paul is completing his statement here, his declaration, that he could have gone one direction, decided to go another direction. This is why he did. The number one thing is to proclaim the gospel and to get it proclaimed, and that's what he said. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Look at me. A servant is one who serves. A servant is one who serves. A servant is one who does not think of possessions as his or her own, but rather recognizes that their number one function is to serve the needs of for whomever they are working and serving. All right, so... Here's what he's saying. I'm free from all men. I, there's no obligation on me, but I have made myself a servant unto all. I've made myself willing. I've made myself voluntarily available that I might gain the more. He is saying the best way for us to win folks to Jesus Christ is to have a, a volunteer's heart, a willingness about our spirit. And under the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now notice the word as. This introduces a simile. It is a form of speech in English. And what that means is, Paul was not saying, I literally become a hardcore uh, Sanhedrin type Jew. But he's saying, I am as a Jew. In other words, I am not doing anything that will turn the Jews off. 
I'm not going to intentionally do anything. I'm not, even though I'm free, and I could say, hey, I'm, I'm free from all of that, he is not going to intentionally do anything that will cause them to say, if that's the case, I don't want your Jesus. So we need to be careful with Jews. We need to be careful with people of different backgrounds. So he says, uh, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. In other words, not intentionally doing something. Let's say the law requires something. He's not going to do the opposite and go, yeah, and say, you know, you know, deal with it. Do you know any Christians that have an attitude like that? I'll guarantee you they are lousy soul winners. You've got to be willing to work with people. Every time I'm in the presence of Muslims, Hindus, I'm comporting myself with respect. I'm, I'm thinking of their cultural differences. I'm speaking to them in such a manner as to make the way clear for me to present my best friend, Jesus Christ, to them as their potential Savior. He's the Savior of the world. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to save you too. I'm not taking anything away from the truth. I'm not cutting any corners. I am just not throwing anything in their face that's going to be offensive to them. As a result of that, frequently, I'll get a door maybe closed rapidly or a brusque response, but I'm willing to take that for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's not me that they're rejecting. And so I want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. All right? As under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law or outside of the system of religion, as without law, not being without law to God, but under the law to Christ. So there's a higher law. The law that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't destroy the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. So we see Old Testament fulfilled in and through Christ. And so when people say, I keep this and I do that and I fulfill this and I keep that, they're, they're attempting, and, and they're just kidding themselves, but they're attempting to do something that Jesus Christ has already fulfilled in their behalf if they'll receive him. And hopefully you'll get a chance to be able to explain that to them. You know, the fellow that says, I bow, I bow five times to the east, I put my forehead on the ground, I put the rug out there, and I, and I do that, and, I bow, and I'm bowing low, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm showing obeisance, and so that person is trying to fulfill the requirements of their religious system. Or the person who goes to a certain religious meeting or a certain religious time so many times a week, they do so many things, they go through so many rituals, they're attempting to fulfill it. Now, it doesn't matter what rituals, they're empty without Christ, without Jesus Christ. So even those that are following what we would call some Old Testament principles or doing some things that might be covered generically by, by the, the Bible leading up to Christ, it's all been done in Christ. It's all been fulfilled in Christ. Every single person's. Now, there are Baptist churches today within a stone's throw, that believe that Jesus died so that people would automatically go to heaven, even folks that had died and gone to hell. That hell will be emptied out, that everybody will get a second chance, and that's because of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some religions that teach 
When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for people to work for and earn their salvation. So these are false applications of the cross and the, and the tomb that's now empty. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty because Jesus Christ has, has claimed the victory. Everything that we have is in the person of Jesus Christ. So we need to know more and more and more about Jesus because he's our salvation. We need to teach them more and more and more about Jesus because he is the only one that can save. Now, anybody who thinks that because Jesus died, he just opened the door, but they have to work for it to get it or to keep it, they've missed the mark because the cross, the tomb are both empty. There's nothing left for us to do. We just receive it. And then those who say, well, Jesus died, and he did that so that all those people that have gone into hell, they'll be there for a period of time, but then God will empty it out after they've been purified or whatever. But that's not in the Bible. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. I want everybody whose path I cross to know Jesus Christ. I want them to see Jesus in my life. I want them to hear Jesus in my voice. I want them to see Jesus in my attitude. I don't want them to be distracted by anything else. You say, well, I can do this, I can do that. Paul is saying, no, I want to be a servant unto all. He's not saying that he's compromising. He's saying, I want to get out of the way so they see Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what we should desire. Then he says, to the weak became I as weak. There's that simile again. That I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Never, never does this scripture include our sinning so people will think we're a good old boy, good old gal, just like they are. No. Never does it include compromising the truth and adding to Jesus Christ anything. Salvation is Jesus Christ plus nothing, minus nothing. It's showing Jesus Christ, and it's not being offensive to them and whatever belief system, right or wrong, that they have. We're not going to offend them. We're not going to look to take pot shots at them. I have preacher friends who have said cruel and wicked and mean things about other people's false beliefs, but in such a way as to drive those folks away that they'll never, ever want to be saved the Bible way. And, and listen, many times when, if we're not careful, we're going to slam a door that somebody else will not be able to get open. We need to be very careful about this. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So Paul is saying, we're all on the same team. We're all part of the same the same effort. What's that effort? To, to get as many to God through Christ as we possibly can. Will it always be the same? No. When I'm dealing with a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, when I'm dealing with a person that's an atheist, a person that's an ethical, uh, philosophical you know, thinker, I run into those all the time. You know what I find a, a lot of, Daquan? I find a lot of uh, you know, like we, we talked about buffet Christians. I find a lot of buffet um, religionists today. They've got a little bit of this. You know, they, they, they might be, I'll give you an example what they might be. They might be born in a Catholic background. So they were sprinkled 
as a baby and, um, and start, started brought up, maybe went to Catholic school. And then when, when they came to maturity, they decided, you know, they, they didn't want to go along with the Pope, so they decided to go Catholic light. And so they become Anglican. Or maybe they go one, one step. Maybe, maybe when they're in the Anglican or, or some other, maybe a Methodist church, they run into a charismatic tongues talker. And so they get a little bit, and then maybe they find the charismatic television programs or radio programs, and they're, and they're kind of watching those maybe at late night or something, and they're getting a little bit of that. Now, here's something else. They don't, they don't quite have it all together, so they're looking for one missing piece. Look at me. And so they don't know what that piece is. I promise you the devil's going to give them Nostradamus or, or something like that. And I have run into the exact person I just described more than once. Born in a certain religion, you know, traded out for something a little lighter, and then ran into somebody that was charismatic, and they got happy, and then they're watching the charismatic program, but they're still missing something, and prophecy or, you know, something, and, and they, they get off on a, another thing, another tangent, another, and now with YouTube, I mean, there are all kinds of weird ideas out there, all right? I don't, I don't know all of them, and I know uh, Brother Tyler doesn't know all of them, but he was telling me about two that somebody had told him about, and I'm telling you, they're out there. They're weird Ideas and people are adding them. They're saying, maybe if I just get this, I'll have enough. Look at me. You and I only needed Jesus to save us. We only need Jesus to keep us. We only need Jesus to satisfy us. Now get into a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, local church, and if you will get busy serving Jesus... And hang some packets on some doors and talk to some folks about the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't need the late night charismatic shows on TV or Nostradamus or whatever it is that you're going after. You won't need that extra stuff. Everything you need, you'll find in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. He is all I need. He is all I need. Jesus is all I need. He was crucified for me. He died on Calvary. Praise the Lord for Jesus. Amen. He's all I need. All right. Look in verse 24. Know ye not. Here's something you got to know about the Christian life. Now, this is where people already saved. They've already got everything they need in Jesus. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. In a normal foot race... I'm not talking about 21st century, let's make all the kids feel good for being participants, where everybody gets a participant's award, okay? Right? And you're, you're, you're grinning, you're smiling, that's it. Somebody's going to win that race. I mean, if they, if they race fairly and they're fast and they go like the wind and they hit the tape first, who gets first place? They do. That has always been that way. That will never change, no matter what we do culturally. One wins the prize. Now, Paul is using... That illustration, which 21st century Christians may not totally understand because of the participatory award thing, but here, here he's saying, 
Everybody, every individual can win, but every individual ought to run as if only one is going to win. Serve God as if only one is going to win. Serve God with all you've got. People say, preacher, why do you do that? Why, you, why, you know, why, why, why? The motivation is, Paul says, so run that ye may obtain. Run as if there's only one first prize and you want to win it. Now, along the way, we're going to help everybody to be a winner. But our effort ought to be all out. All out. And I, I urge you to stay spiritually strong, right with Jesus, emotionally balanced. And there's a way to do that. Physically, mentally balanced. Eat right. Take supplements. Exercise. Be as healthy as as you can be, as long as you can be healthy. And use it for Jesus. And when you start to lose it, lose a half step or a step or whatever, I've talked about this before, then serve God with 100% of the 50% that you have left. Or serve Him with the 100% of the 10% that you have left. And give Him your all till the very end. And that's how you, that's how you hit the tape. Amen. Amen. So one is going to win. So run that ye may obtain. Verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery. Now look at me. The mastery, look at here, was a, a set of games like the Olympics. The mastery. All right. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, you've got to keep training. Got to keep training. How many of you have ever played in the era of athletics when the coach said, all right, here are your training rules. You've got to be in bed by this time. Don't do this. Don't do that. How many of you have ever been under a coach like that? Come on. All right. All right. Used to be the pros were. They used to have bed check. I'm not kidding you. When those guys would go to another city to play another team, and they're the visiting team, they would have somebody, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, they would have somebody go around and do bed check, making sure that everybody's in the sack by 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, whatever it is, because they've got to be up at 5, 6 in the morning, be on the bus or whatever they're going to do, get ready for the game, who knows when it's going to be. And they had to, they had to keep training, and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't go out and, uh, and uh, party, they couldn't go out and be wild, even though there are, you know, all those who claim that they were, that they are, whatever. If they got caught, they get you know, grounded, kicked off, or whatever. They wouldn't start, and uh, the stories are legendary. All right, so when you strive for the mastery, you have to be temperate in how many things? All things. Every discipline of our Christian life needs to be in proper balance when we're serving Jesus if we're going to have that servant's heart, if we're going to present Jesus to a lost and dying world. Remember, salvation is in and through and totally because of who? Jesus Christ. So if they're going to see Jesus Christ, we have to be balanced. Our Bible reading, our prayer life, our church attendance, our giving, all of that has to be in proper balance. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Say amen. Amen. All right. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. In those days, if you won the mastery, it was the honor of the thing. They would give you a garland. They would give you something that would fade away, a crown. But you got that placed on your head. You were 
the champion. You were the master. All right? But we an incorruptible. We're going to get an incorruptible crown for running in a balanced, moderate way, for keeping training, for letting people see Jesus. The ultimate goal is for everybody to see Jesus in you and me. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. When you run, you have to run with confidence. Anybody ever coach you on your running style? Some of you just hated PE, didn't you? It made you get, yeah, it made you get out there and run. Come on, run around, run around the track. And so there you are, you're running, your arms are flailing everywhere, you know. And, and you're, I mean, you're the biggest windbreak that ever lived because you're not, you're not aerodynamic. Understood. But when you're coached right, you glide, right? Anybody ever run the 400 or the 440 in the old days? Run the 440 or the 400? If you do, you start out of the blocks like you're in a dash. And you're staying low. And after about, oh, I'd say 30, 40 yards, you start to stand up a little bit. But you're still running at a slight angle. And you're pumping. Hands are going like this. When you hit the back side of the back stretch, you've done about uh, 200 to 300 yards. When you're at 200 to 300 yards, you are gliding. You are gliding. Which means you're still moving along at a pretty good pace. You're not running like that, but you're taking long strides and you're chewing up the real estate. And you come off that last turn. And now you're looking down a straightaway. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? You know what I'm talking about. And now you're putting your head down and you're not tightening up. And you're not putting your head back and forth, but you're keeping your head straight. And you push, 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 push. And here comes the tape. On through. There is a right way to run. Even though a person may be as fast as the wind, there's a right way. It's not uncertainly. It is with a plan, with a, with a, uh, a program, a scheme of how you're going to run, how you're going to finish. And that coach, when you're running, he's going to say, you got anything left? Because if you do and you didn't win, I'm telling you, you're in trouble. It means laps. It means a lot of extra working out. So it doesn't happen. All right? So fight I, not as one that beat at the air. Anybody ever do any shadow boxing? Light bag, heavy bag. All right? You know what I'm talking about? And shadow boxing, you got that shadow there, and you're, and you're uh, kind of juking around. And, and uh, shadow boxing is just for training purposes. There's nothing real about it other than for training purposes, all right? So now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. So we run, not uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth there. Here it is. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. We could say the same thing. I keep my Christian disciplines, my lifestyle, under the control of the Holy Spirit. When you and I are under the control of the Holy Spirit and our lifestyle isn't willy-nilly, I mean, it is controlled, it is disciplined, that lest that by any means when I have preached to others, what? If you don't, I myself should be a castaway. Oh, I don't want to be on the trash heap. I don't want to sit on the bench. I want, I want to get off the bench. I want to get in the game. Amen. I want to be on the front lines. Amen. I want to be busy. 
for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't want to be benched. I don't want to be trashed. I want to be serving the Lord. I want to, listen, I didn't receive Jesus Christ and read my Bible and pray and try to get into the Christian life just so later on I could sit out under the bleachers somewhere and not participate. If you are on the sidelines, listen, you want to get in the game. You want to serve Jesus. You want to serve whatever the metaphor, so that when the final gun goes off, you have drained every ounce. You have done everything you can. When, when you finally hit the tape in the race, you, there is nothing left. When you have finished your course, you can say, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown. Praise the Lord. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, the Spirit of God is speaking to my heart right now. He's speaking to me. Come on. He's speaking to my heart. He's speaking to me. I don't want anything left over. I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve Him with gladness. I want to give Him my all. Amen. Let's rededicate our hearts and our souls to Him. And if tonight you want to come and have a word of prayer or you want to pray where you are, let's do that. And if you've never received Jesus Christ, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, pray from your heart something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.